So prayer, um, we started out uh, several months ago talking about prayer and, and uh, several different subjects and trying to get into it uh, in some detail. And we used as kind of our primary reference, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1, if you want to turn there. We'll read this verse again together, Luke 11, verse 1. And as we do, we can uh, read this out loud together. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so here the, uh, uh, Jesus prays, and then, and then one of the disciples says to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And uh, there's some discussion about the fact that were they asking to teach us how to pray or to teach us to pray the way that you pray. Um, but in any case, they wanted to hear from Jesus how to pray. And it goes in then uh, the next few verses talking about what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but it's really um, perhaps better called the Disciples Prayer or um, a Model Prayer. Um, but um, Jesus' prayer, uh, a lengthy prayer, uh, comes um, at another passage in Scripture. But he goes on to talk about um, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that prayer that we all are familiar with. And then he goes on with the story of the man with the importunity and the neighbor who comes to him and, and he goes to his, uh, or the traveler that comes to him in the night and he goes to his neighbor at midnight and begs bread from him. And that's just a continuation of talking about prayer. And um, so when we got into this, we started out and the first thing that we talked about was why should we pray? Why should we pray? And first of all, we said we pray for salvation. You know, the only prayer that God is obligated to answer for a, an unsaved person is the prayer of repentance, the prayer of salvation. Now, unsaved people can pray, and they can ask for things, and God may answer them, but he is obligated to answer the prayer of repentance. And so we pray for, to God for salvation. We're also commanded to pray. In Luke chapter 18 and verse 1, it says, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, Pray without ceasing. That's just a standalone verse. There's no description to it. It just says, Pray without ceasing. And we talked a little bit about praying without ceasing later on. We'll get to that this morning. But we're to be in a constant attitude of prayer. This idea that... At any time and at any moment, we can be in communication with God. We don't have to be down on our knees. We don't have to have our head bowed and our eyes closed. There's times for that. But you can pray to God at any time. We can have the, that, such that power of prayer that we can, we can come to God as soon as something happens um, or when something comes up that we ought to be able to go to him and pray. And pray. We're in that constant attitude of prayer, praying to God and listening to God, praying for everybody and everything, and lack of prayer is a sin. We said also that prayer is God's appointed way for getting things. James 4.2 says, ye have not because ye ask not. What good is it to be a Christian if we don't get our prayers answered? If we can't come to a God who loves us 
and cares for us and delights in meeting our needs and taking care of us above all that we can ask and think, if we can't go to that God in prayer, then we're no different than the unsaved. They don't have, the unsaved don't have a loving father that they have a relationship with at that point. And they have no guarantee that their prayers are going to be answered. And so prayer is God's appointed way for getting things done. We also pray to have fullness of joy. John 16, 24 says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. Prayer is the secret to the fullness of joy. When we have situations that we, we are in and that we're going through, we can go to the Lord in prayer and receive the joy that can only come through our relationship with Him and through the Holy Spirit. We, learn, we need to learn to pray and ask according to God's will, and He delights in giving us the desires of our heart when they're in accordance with His will. We also said that prayer is a way to victory over troubles, worry, and care. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he um, shall sustain thee. Prayer is the way to have constant peace at all times. It's not that we don't go through problems, because we will, just like everyone else. But when we can go to God in prayer... During those difficult times, we can experience, experience the peace that passes all understanding. We also said that prayer is the only way to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who love him and shall ask him? Jesus finishes teaching that story in Luke 11 about, the, uh, about importunity. And he ties it into um, the, the blessing of, of being able to have the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit while he's talking about importune prayer and going and begging uh, God in this illustration the neighbor, the neighbor in the middle of the night represents God. And going to him and begging him for something to give to this friend that has shown up at the last minute. And so we said that, that by going and begging God that we can get the power of the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't come easy. Um, it's not just one of those things that you know, we say, God, give me power, and he just gives it to us. We need to be sincerely desiring and um, seeking um, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can get that. Then we talked about the sin of prayerlessness. 1 Samuel 12, 23 says, Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And uh, we have the story here. Uh, recorded, and we see that uh, the proof that prayerlessness is sin in this verse, the Bible says that prayerlessness is sin. God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. The Holy Spirit put it in Samuel's heart to say those words. 
But not only did the Holy Spirit put it in Samuel's heart to say those words, but the Holy Spirit saw, saw to it that those words were recorded in the Bible for us to read today. They're in there for a reason. They didn't just happen to show up and, well, it's okay. Those words are there for our edification. And it says, God forbid that I should sin in ceasing to pray for you. Prayerlessness is a sin. We see many scriptures that command us to pray. Some of those are 1 Thessalonians 5.17, as we mentioned, pray without ceasing. Luke 18.1, men ought always to pray and not to faint. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Just as in the temple, the fragrance of incense was constantly reaching God and um, was going up day and night. So we as Christians also ought to experience such a closeness with God and come to such a closeness and oneness with God that we can pray to him all, at all times, day and night. That even in our unconscious moments, while we're sleeping or while we are concentrating on work and doing other things, that even our unconscious soul self with the Holy Spirit can lift our prayers up to God, just as the incense of the, of the temple did. We see that prayerlessness leaves a door open for all other sins. Mark 14, 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Continual prayer, that continual attitude of prayer and being in prayer um, and being able to go to prayer when temptation faces you is how we, how we keep from falling into that temptation. If we only pray at certain times of the day or we only pray when we think about it or we only pray when we have a need, we're more likely to fall into temptation when it comes. But when we're into a, in, in a constant attitude of prayer and we have that communication going on with God and the, de the devil tempts us and we face temptations, it's much easier to overcome those temptations as we um, are in that attitude of prayer. Prayer defeats Satan. John Bunyan said, prayer will make man cease from sin, but sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. There are several examples in the Bible of uh, people who prayed. Of course, our best example is Jesus. He went up into a mountain to pray in Matthew 14, 23. Children were brought to him to lay hands on and pray for them in Matthew 19, 13. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 26, 36. And he even was praying during the transfiguration in Luke chapter 9, verses 28 and 29. The temple was literally called a house of prayer. Paul and Silas prayed at midnight in the jail. There was a group in Mary's home that prayed Peter out of jail. Men at the church of Antioch fasted and prayed over Barnabas and Saul before they sent them out. Prayer is a regular thing and should be a regular part of our lives through every situation that we go through. We should be constantly praying. There are so many more examples, but those are a few of them for time's sake today. The difference between the New Testament church and churches today is a matter of prayer. They were constantly in prayer. The difference between 
Many pastors today and the pastors of the New Testament church is a matter of prayer. The, ma- the difference between Christians of the New Testament church and Christians today many times is a matter of prayer. They seem to have understood the importance of prayer and they were praying constantly. And they had the power of prayer and experienced answered prayer in their lives. We see the sad results of prayerlessness. God's people do not receive what they ought to have. Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Praying for our daily needs. James chapter 4 and verse 2, you have not because you ask not. We act as orphans instead of the children of the almighty God of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't come to him and take our burdens to him and get our needs met when he is so willing to help us and to meet our needs. We see that God's work suffers. God clearly promises to help his children and to hear his children when they come to him in humility, in prayer, supplication, and repentance, as outlined in 2 Chronicles 7.14. That verse is thrown around a lot when talking about political things. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. And it's often thrown around even by um, uh, pseudo-Christians um, when discussing the state of our country and, and uh, our political situation. But uh, this, is a, this is a great prayer promise also. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Who turns from their wicked ways? His people. This isn't to the wicked world. This is to you and me. This is to Christians. Turn from our wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven will forgive their sins and will heal their land. It's a great prayer promise. So God's work suffers if we do not pray. Countless souls go to hell. Romans 10, 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? When we pray, the Holy Spirit gives power to the ministries of God. To the, to the people who are sharing the word, which is also us. How shall they believe on him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? If we're not praying for the power of God on people sharing the word so that they can hear the word, so that they can believe, then souls are going to end up in hell because we don't pray. We need to be praying. We also talked about what prayerlessness shows about our wicked hearts. It shows that we have a lack of real enjoyment of God. When you enjoy something or someone... That's where you put your time and your effort. When you're dating, when you first met your spouse, 
you couldn't spend enough time together. Now, okay, so, but when you were dating, you couldn't spend enough time together. When you have uh, an activity, whether uh, it's uh, sewing or shopping or hunting or fishing or watching sports, you spend your time doing that. When we don't spend our time praying, when we are a prayerless people, it just proves that we don't enjoy God. We don't enjoy that fellowship and that oneness and that presence with him. It also proves our unbelief. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When we don't pray, we prove our unbelief. Prayer is the proof of faith in a Christian, because when we have faith that God can answer our prayers, we'll go to him in prayer. Prayer, uh, lack of prayer proves our laziness. Prayer is hard work. It really is hard work. Not necessarily just saying, you know, uh, God is great, God is good, let us thank you for this food, amen. That's not, that's not work. But praying, supplicating prayers, intercessory prayers, it is hard work. It demands thought. It demands concentration. It demands persistence. Importunity. Um, there's several examples in the Word of God that we covered of, of people who described their prayers um, as agonizing. Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, was praying so diligently and so fervently that he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. Prayer is hard work. If we're not praying, it just proves our laziness. How do we overcome the sin of prayerlessness? Set a specific time. Early each day for prayer and God's word. Pray about things as they come up. Don't wait until a specific, you know, oh, tonight before I go to bed, I'll pray for these things. You'll forget half of them, or at least I do, maybe more than half. So pray as they come up. You know, even when you're, you know, driving through the parking lot, you can pray and ask God for a, for a good parking spot if, you're, if your leg is hurting and you're having trouble getting around. Simple things like that. Um, we forget that God, God's concerned about everything in our lives, even the seemingly little things. And we sometimes just kind of think, well, I can take care of this on my own. I don't need God's help. But we need God's help in everything. Without him, we are nothing. Pray about things as they come up. Let prayer be simply talking with God. Connect prayer with every detail of your life. And then follow Bible examples and teachings about prayer. Read some books on prayer. There's some great books out there. Um, read, of course, the Bible and go back and find some of these uh, uh, instances of people praying in the Bible. Uh, some of them were uh, lengthy prayers and some of them were very short. And the power of God was displayed on some of the shortest prayers in the Bible. The next thing we talked about was prayer and giving thanks. I think we may have done this one around Thanksgiving time, but... Um, giving thanks is an important aspect of prayer. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Colossians 4 and verse 2, 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, all talk about prayer and thanksgiving. It's good to give thanks. Psalm 92 verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks unto the Lord. The words thank, thanks, thankful, thanksgiving occur 164 times in the Bible. 
That's, a, that's significant. Okay. If it's said once, it's important. But if it's said 164 times, we should pay attention. It's a good thing to give thanks. We have so much to be thankful for. Give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Give thanks in everything, even the tough things, even the things that don't seem to have gone the way we thought they should. Give thanks to God. It's not, uh, it's not even wrong to give thanks to God for prayers where you haven't seen the answer yet, but you know the answer's coming. And go ahead and thank God for answering that prayer. And then we see giving thanks as a sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 said, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of prayer to, praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The priests in, in the old Jewish temple, there was a, a specific group of priests who their job was to give thanks to God in the morning and in the evening. That was their duty. And we, in the New Testament, New Testament Christians, are a royal priesthood. We are priests. We should be giving thanks to God as a sacrifice. The next thing we talked about was hindrances to prayer. In a normal Christian life, every day or nearly every day, we should be experiencing answers to prayer. If you um, went to the bank and put your card in the ATM and attempted to take out some of your money and it wouldn't give you any money, you'd think something was wrong. If you walked over to the wall and flipped the light switch and the lights didn't come on, you would think something was wrong. And you would probably try to figure out what's wrong and how to fix it. Well, if we're praying and we're not getting answers to our prayers, something's wrong. And we need to figure out what is wrong and how to remedy it. We said that this could be caused by wrong relationships with spouses in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Could come from wrong relationships with others in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Could come from unforgiveness in Mark 6, 14 and 15. Covetousness in 1 Timothy 6, 10. You know, when we covet our, our money, when we begin to love money, when the word of God says the love of money is the root of all evil, we begin to hoard it. And that money is not ours. We're just managers of it. And when we begin to covet, it can hinder and will hinder our prayers. Rebellion, disobedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15 talks about Saul. And he was specifically commanded to kill every man, woman, child, and beast and when he came back, he was confronted by the prophet of God because he didn't obey. And he told him to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God is more interested in our obedience than he is in what we do for him or give to him or say to him. He's more interested in our obedience than anything. To obey is better than sacrifice. Indifference toward the Bible, Proverbs 28, verse 9, and Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 talks about the, the power of the word of God. 
And if we are indifferent toward the Bible, if we're not um, studying the Bible and learning the Word of God, it will hinder our prayer life. And of course, unconfessed sin, Psalm chapter 66 and verse 18. And if we are regarding iniquity in our hearts, the Lord will not hear us. Regarding means in, enjoying. It's an intentional act. It's not just, oh, I sin and my prayers can't be heard. Because when we realize we've sinned, we can pray and get forgiveness. But our prayer life will be hindered when we relish sin and we intentionally live in sin. Next, we talked about prayer and fasting. Fasting is kind of a lost art in the Christian, uh, uh, Christian life today. But in the Bible, it was very common. Christians today pray. They pray regularly. Some pray frequently and pray fervently. But we don't fast, fast much. And, and in the Bible, there's a lot of talk about fasting and prayer. We spent a, a, a lesson talking about fasting. The only restriction placed on fasting in the Word of God in, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 16 is that it's not done boastfully. You don't fast so that others notice and they know it and you're saying, look at me, I'm, I'm really spiritual because I'm fasting. That's the restriction on fasting in the Bible. But there's no other restriction on when to fast or, or how long to fast or anything like that. That's between you and God. Fasting is simply putting God first. Putting God above everything else for a specific period of time. It's when one determines to set aside a period of time to abstain from other things and give their whole heart to prayer and seeking God's will. We leave off we, we, we give up for a period of time the, the lesser blessings, even things that are good, for a greater blessing. That's what fasting is about. It's not necessary every time you pray. It's not necessary in every situation. But certainly, when you have a situation where you're extremely burdened for a person or a, a situation that you're facing in your life, or when you just don't understand and haven't figured out what the will of God in that particular situation is, those are ideal times to fast and pray. The Holy Spirit can help us at those times to understand the will of God. Because we talked about many times through this series that praying in the will of God, we're promised an answer. So if we pray in the will of God, we have confidence that God is going to answer that prayer. It's a promise of God, and God cannot go back on his promises. The, the, the secret is finding his will. Once you find his will, and you pray for that will, he will answer. And you will have an answer to your prayer. But sometimes it takes fasting and prayer to find the will of God. Too many times our prayers are brief. They are uh, indefinite. But fasting and prayer is settling down to the business of praying. We talked about asking for big things. You know, sometimes we as Christians are afraid to ask for the big things. It seems selfish. Uh, uh, or sometimes, it, you know, it just doesn't seem right to, to pray for these things that in our, in our minds and in our understanding as humans are, are big. And that's, man, that's a really, big, a really big ask of God. 
And, uh, and sometimes we're afraid to ask that. I, I, I don't know if I remember if I mentioned this in our lesson, but I remember in the course of my business sitting down with a Christian client one time, and, uh, and they, he said, um, you know, I don't want to be filthy rich, but I, I want to be, you know, have enough money to be able to help other people. And I said to them, but what if God wants you to be filthy rich so you can help even more people? You know, and sometimes we think that we're, we're um, uh, almost sinning if we think that, you know, to having too much money is ungodly. But God has promised to meet our needs, but he's also promised to, to meet our needs in, in very magnificent ways. And we talked about some of that, and, and you're familiar with some of those verses, but sometimes we have a hard time grasping that. So we talked about asking for big things. But remember... <clears throat> Excuse me. God is not a vending machine. This is not name it and claim it. God's promises to answer prayer, they are conditional. He will answer prayer, and he's promised to answer prayer if we meet specific conditions. And if those conditions are met, then we can be assured that God will answer those prayers. First of all, God invites us to ask for big things. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, these are some of those verses that, that talk about, um, you know, God answering in a very, uh, a very miraculous and, and uh, extra special way. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That's a pretty big blessing. That's a pretty big answer. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Psalm chapter 89 and verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. These are all promises regarding God's overwhelming blessings in our lives. But those blessings are conditional. We have Bible examples of people that prayed for big things. Um, Joshua commanded the sun to stand still in Joshua chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Elisha asked for a double portion of the, whole, of the Spirit's blessing on Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. We have examples in the Bible of people asking for big things and receiving them. You'll never find a ver anywhere in the Bible where anyone was ever rebuked by God for asking for something big or too big. We see the blessings of big prayers. It shows the great power of God. If Christians were mighty in their prayers, pleading for great things, God would delight to answer those prayers and do a magnificent work around this world. If we would just knuckle down and pray and beg and plead with God for his power to be made known. It prospers God's work. It also gets Christians what they need. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's told us to pray for our daily bread. And praying for big things that come up in our lives, whether it's big to me, what's big to me is big to you or not. If it's big to me, I can take it to God. 
And he's a big enough God that he can answer. We talked about asking for bread for sinners. This goes back to Luke chapter 11 and the, the, uh, the man who goes to his neighbor at midnight. This parable in chapter, five, uh, chapter 11 verses 5 through 10 is the man begging for three loaves of bread for this friend who has come to him in the middle of the night. We think of this, and it, and it is a prayer passage because Jesus was talking and responding to the disciples, asking him to teach them to pray. But it's also a great soul-winning passage. The man in this, in this um, parable represents us. The neighbor represents God. The traveler represents our unsaved neighbors and friends. And the bread represents Jesus Christ. We go to God, the neighbor, to get bread, Jesus Christ, to give to our unsaved friends and neighbors. We saw this same model of illustration in the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took the two loaves and the five fishes and blessed them, and the disciples came and got them from Jesus and took them to the people. We go to God to get what we need to give to others. Every Christian stands between God and the lost world. Every born-again believer here today, sitting in this room, you are the best Christian somebody knows. And that ought to challenge us to make sure that we're living the way that we ought to live. We don't have what it takes. This man came to his neighbor and said, I have nothing to give to my, to my friend who showed up. But we can get what we need from God to give to our friends. There was a sense of urgency. It was at midnight. And he realized that I need to help my friend right now. And I do remember when we taught this lesson that just a couple of days earlier, I'd found out that my son's father-in-law had been killed in a car accident. We never know how much time our loved ones have on this earth. We don't know when we speak to someone if it'll be the last time we ever get a chance to speak to them. There's urgency. We need to be taking the word of God. And there was importunity. God does not just simply give because we're his friends. He wants to make sure we're sincere. We understand the importance of it and that we're willing to pray through, that we're willing to, to beg him and plead with him for the need to take to our lost for, uh, friends. We talked about prayer and faith. You cannot please God without faith. Hebrews eleven six says without faith it is impossible to please him. Faith is plainly commanded as a duty in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark eleven twenty two. When Jesus cursed the fig tree and they came back the next morning and it was withered up and the disciples were amazed that God had, Jesus had cursed the tree and it withered away. And Jesus' comment at that point was have faith in God. Have faith in God. It's a duty. Unbelief is a sin. 
If faith pleases God, a lack of faith, unbelief, displeases God. And displeasing God is a sin. With faith, nothing is impossible. Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Mark 9, 23. Mark 11, 24. All things are possible when we come to God in prayer, seeking and praying for his will. We must be so in harmony with God that we can have our prayers based on either a specific promise in the word of God where you can go to God and say, you've promised in your word that this is going to happen and I'm praying for that. Or it's based on the fact that we have been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit what is the will of God. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But we need to be in close harmony with God before we can uh, find out what his will is. We can't just be living our life the way we want and then all of a sudden, voila, you know, God, I understand your will. How do we exercise our faith? Remember exercise, you go to the gym, you exercise, it gets stronger, you build it up, you repeatedly do something and it builds it up. How do we exercise our faith? <coughs> Excuse me, Romans 10, 17, learn, learn the word of God. Surrender fully to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Act on the faith that you do have and ask for more faith. Ask for more faith. The disciples asked Jesus to increase our faith. We talked about praying specifically. The Bible teaches that prayers should be definite, explicit works. This this man went to his neighbor at midnight and said, give me three loaves of bread. He didn't say, can you give me something for my friend? He said, I need three loaves of bread. He was very specific in what he asked for. If we do not pray specifically, how will we know when those prayers got answered? If you just pray something general, you won't know when that prayer got answered. But if you want to uh, know that your prayer was answered, you need to pray for specific things in the will of God. What's wrong with indefinite prayer? Often, it's just merely a formality, and it's insincere. We know many churches where they recite prayers um, as a repetition. They say the same prayers over and over and over. They read them out of a book and things. And, and sometimes people's hearts are are in it, but many times our prayers are just repetitive and insincere if we're not asking for specific things. So be definite in our prayers. What's wrong with indefinite prayer? We're to pray for God's will. We're to pray for God's will. And that's not general, that's specific. God has a specific will in each and every one of our lives, and we ought to be praying for that. How to be definite in prayer. Just eliminate those things already that you know that you just can't pray for um, or can't pray specifically for. Um, if, you can't, if you can't have peace about praying for something, then you don't need to be praying for it. If you can get peace about praying for it, then pray for it. But we need to you know, just eliminate the things that you can't pray wholeheartedly about. Search the scriptures to determine God's will. 
Understand that sometimes it takes time. We have to wait on the Lord for him to answer our prayers. And we, we keep praying and we keep asking. And if we're certain that we're praying in the will of God or we have a promise that we're claiming, just keep praying. We know that he's going to answer that prayer. It just may not be the right time. And keep a prayer journal. Log what you were praying and when it was answered. And it can be a great encouragement to you. Almost done. Prayer and miracles. This is an, uh, an interesting one, and it was a little, um, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure the word I'm looking for right now, but uh, I wasn't sure about how to approach this as I was preparing this particular lesson. But, you know, as we studied it, we see that Bible promises miracles in answers to prayers of faith. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20. Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22. Mark 9, 23. Mark 11, 21 to 24. John 14, 12 through 14. All miracles that um, we can look at in the Word of God. Christianity is a miracle religion. When people attack our beliefs, when they attack our church, when they attack us for being Christians, what do they attack? They attack the miracles of the Bible, creation, Noah and the ark, Jonah and the whale, the virgin birth. These were all miracles, and that's what they go after. The world attacks us because we are a miracle religion. The Word of God is a miracle Word of God. Christianity stands and falls on its miracles. The Bible begins with the miracle of creation in Genesis 1-1, and it ends with the return of Christ in Revelation chapter 22. And there's miracles all throughout in between the beginning and the end. Lastly, for whom should we pray? We should pray for all men, 1 Timothy 2-1. Kings, 1 Timothy 2-2. Those in authority, 1 Timothy 2-2. Pastors, evangelists, missionaries, spiritual leaders in Ephesians 6.19. Pray for the sick in James 5.14-16. Pray for your enemies in Matthew 5.44. And pray for yourself. But you can sum it up in just that very first one in 1 Timothy 2.1. Pray for all men. Pray for everybody. They need the prayer. We need the practice. Just pray. How do we pray for them? Jesus gave us some examples. He said, pray for their faith in Luke chapter 22, 32. Pray for temptation, that they would avoid temptation in Luke twenty two forty. 40. Pray for unity in John 17, 11, And pray for uh, sanctification in John 17, 17. Paul gave some examples. Pray for their salvation in Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Pray for godliness in 2 Corinthians 13, 7. Pray for the strength of the Spirit, the indwelling of Christ, Pray that they would know the love of Christ and they'd be filled with the fullness of God in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Perhaps the greatest privilege that we have as Christians is the privilege of being able to go to the very throne of our loving Father who loves us and cares for us. And He is the Almighty God of the universe. And we can come straight to him. You don't have to stand in line and wait for everybody else to get done ahead of you. You can come to him at any time. And you can lay any burden at his feet, no matter how big or how small that is. 
What a privilege we have in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that we have and that you've preserved it for us to understand how we ought to live and how we ought to behave in this world. Thank you for the privilege of prayer and coming to you and thanking you and praising you and giving you our burdens. And we understand that you want to meet our needs. You want to meet our needs spiritually. You want to meet our needs physically. You want to meet our needs emotionally. You want to meet our needs financially. And God, we have not because we ask not. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your love, your mercy, and your grace. Help us to catch a vision of that. And might we be better servants of you because we improve our prayer life. We thank you for uh, the opportunity now to go into this next service. Speak to our hearts. If there's one here who does not know Jesus as his Savior, we pray that today would be the day that he would make sure his home in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.